Welcome to our podcast that we call The Jesus Book, because every page of the Bible is about Jesus, either directly, indirectly. We are to learn something about him everywhere we look. And today we're going to look at Paul's four chapter letter to the Philippians. Now, last week we talked about Ephesians, and it's a very positive, powerful book. It has six chapters. Right next door is Paul's letter to the saints at Philippi, the Christians, the believers at Philippi, and it's one of the most powerful, positive books as well that you will ever read. Now, Paul was very comfortable with the church at Philippi, and uh, they were very close to him, very helpful in his ministry. They supported his ministry, and he speaks in the first chapter of his appreciation for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he says. And uh, so obviously there was uh, emotions of appreciation flowing from the apostle And this was a church that was very, very special to him. And then in verse six of chapter one, you have one of the most well-known and powerful verses in the Bible, being confident of this very thing, that the one who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in us. God has begun a good work in us and he will carry it on to completion. Jesus Christ is our Lord and savior and his power is at work within us. Ephesians three and verse 20, we said last week, according to his power that is at work within us, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's the same thing he's saying here. God works within his people and we can be confident that he works within his people. And then in verses nine through 11, he has a prayer for the Philippians that they would abound in love more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through being associated with Christ. And that's what Jesus had taught in John chapter 15, uh, that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Paul is saying, I want you to abound in love toward one another and toward Christ so that you will bear fruit that comes only through the power of Christ. So it's all about Jesus, even as he opens this letter and he's getting their attention focused on the relationship that he has with Jesus, that they have with Jesus and the relationship that he has with them because of Jesus. Then beginning in verse 12, we see how a Christ-centered person looks at things and looks at the circumstances of life, even the negative circumstances of life. Because Paul says, now I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out to further the gospel, to help the gospel be spread. And he's talking about his imprisonment. He even says that it has become evident to the whole palace guard that my chains are in Christ. In other words, he says, I am a prisoner and people know that I'm a prisoner because I follow Jesus. And that is causing the message to spread. And evidently there were some guards who were being converted because at the end of the book, he says to the Philippians, those of Caesar's household greet you. And evidently he's talking there about some people that he had converted to Christ from the household of Caesar or at least who worked as servants for Caesar, likely the prison guards. And he says, because of my chains, the brothers out there on the outside have become more bold to speak the gospel without fear. In other words, here I am setting an example of how no cost is too much, no price is too high to pay for following Jesus. No matter what happens to us, we continue to be faithful to Jesus. And that's encouraging them. That's causing them to be uh, more fearless and bold in proclaiming the message of Christ. So that's what he's looking at. He's looking at everything from the standpoint of how it affects the mission, how it affects the cause of Jesus Christ. And that is something powerful to learn from the apostle Paul because he was so Christ-centered, but he was not any more 
so than you and I can be. Now he says that there are some who are preaching Christ for the right reasons, but some are preaching Christ to cause trouble for me. In other words, there were some people on the outside who were going around preaching, knowing that it would make it harder for Paul in prison if they stirred up trouble for him. So think about that. They were doing it to cause problems for Paul. And what was his response to that? His response to that was to say, the important thing is that Christ is preached. People are hearing about Christ regardless of the reason. Even if people are trying to hurt me by preaching Christ, someone is hearing the gospel and I rejoice in that. So that's the way to look at things. What is the impact of what is going on on the cause of Christ? And are we willing to suffer for the cause? Then he gets into some very personal matters concerning his life. He actually says he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. I mean, they could come into his cell at any time and take him away and, and kill him. But he says, I understand that I could die at any time. I also know that I could live on in the flesh. And he says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. In other words, I'm kind of in between a rock and a hard place as far as making a decision. Because I know that to depart and be with Christ is far better, better by far to leave this earth and go and be with Jesus. But it's more needful for you if I remain in the flesh, because that will mean fruit for my labors. So what I should choose, I can't. I don't know which to choose. He says, I don't know what to choose. If it were left up to me, I wouldn't know what to choose. So he doesn't know what's going to happen to him, but he says, I want to go and be with Christ, but I know it's important that I stay here for now. And what's going to happen, it's going to turn out the way it's supposed to. And then he makes this statement in verse 21, for to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. To live for Jesus means that dying becomes gain. Dying brings life in heaven with Christ. And that is something that you can actually call gain. Something that's better than what we have here no matter what is going on. But for to me, to live is Christ. Paul's whole life was about Jesus. And just like we say this book is about Jesus, that's the way he lived his life. And that is the way that you and I are to live our lives, focused on Jesus, for us to live as Christ. And if we can say, for me to live as Christ, then you can say, to die is gain. It's the only way you can say it, but you can say it if you are following Jesus and if he is your life. And that's what he wants to be, is our entire life. Colossians chapter three says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. For Paul, Christ was his whole life and that's what he was trying to get other people to see and the way that he was trying to get them to be in their daily lives was focused completely on Christ so that he would be their entire life, their entire reason for existence. Then in verse 27, he says, whatever happens, make sure that you conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ and remembering to stand together against whatever comes against you and realize that it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to suffer for him. Suffering for Christ is an honor. It's a privilege and it is something that we are called to do and we are called to do it for the reason of advancing the cause of Christ which is what we should be concerned about. We want Jesus to be glorified no matter what happens to us. And so those are just some of the things that he mentions in chapter one. And it is such a Christ-centered introduction to a very Christ-centered book. In chapter two, 
He begins to tell them about how they should do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. They should esteem others better than themselves. They should try to love each other and get along with each other. And that leads into a beautiful poem about Christ and his mission into this world. And we'll notice that in Philippians 2 and verse 5, where he says, Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or his equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A beautiful take on Christ's humility. So he tells them to be humble and to live a life of service to others. And then he says, here's the example. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus lived a life of humility. Jesus gave up his equality with God in order to save us. And he says, I want you to have that same attitude in you that Christ Jesus had in him. He's not asking you to do anything that he has not done himself. Now here is how it plays out in practical terms. All of you should work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is working in you both to will and to do of his good purpose. There's the emphasis again, God is working within you. To do what? To cause you to live for Christ, to cause you to be close to Christ. Everything is about God working in us to lead us to Jesus and to keep us close to Jesus. And he says, I want you to do everything without complaining. Boy, there's a verse that is often ignored. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. And so it gets into the very practical matters of living for Jesus, it does matter. The small things, the things that we consider as small, uh, do matter. All of these things that we learned in chapter one about Jesus and in the first part of chapter two are here to cause us to live for Jesus and to make us better uh, Christians so that we can make an impact upon this world for our Lord and Savior. He closes out chapter two by giving some words of commendation and love for two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And that leads us into chapter three, where Paul affirms that he puts no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in his, his pedigree, no confidence in his uh, earthly standing. In fact, he says, I had to give up all of that stuff, even though I once thought that those things were so important. What people thought, being able to climb the ladder of success, being able to be looked at in a certain way, in a, in a way of admiration, he said, I, I put aside all of that, even though I once thought all those things were so important, and now I count them as rubbish. I have thrown them on the trash heap from which they came so that I may gain Christ. Everything is about Christ. I'll give up anything in order to have that relationship with Jesus. And then he says, I want to be found in him, be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which comes from law keeping, but that righteousness, which comes through faith in Jesus. Faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In order to be pleasing to God, you have to be righteous. And the Bible teaches this. Paul dealt with this a lot in the book of Romans. But here he makes one statement that sums up everything about righteousness. He says, I want to be found in a relationship with Christ. I want to be found trusting in Christ because this brings the righteousness that is by faith. Righteousness comes to us as a gift 
when we have faith in Christ. It is the righteousness that is from God as a gift by faith in his son. So if you want to be looked at as holy and perfect and righteous by God the Father, here's how you do it. Accept his son, trust in his son, and believe that God gives righteousness to those who do. And then in verse 10, you have that powerful statement. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the sense of knowing him better in a personal relationship, but I also want to know him in the matter of experience. I want to experience the things that he has called me to go through. And I want to do that in a way that will glorify him. That's what mattered to Paul. So Paul says in verses 12 and 13, I have not already attained, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward those things which are ahead. Now here he's talking specifically about those things that he used to have uh, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees and being a, you know, a high functioning religious leader, very respected. He says, I want to forget all of those things. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and focusing on what is ahead. And what is ahead is what Christ has called me to. And he says, if you're mature, follow my example in this. Be focused on the spiritual side. Be focused on the, the spiritual things because not everyone does. And he says, there are some who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly, their end is destruction because they set their minds on earthly things. Now you can see through the first three chapters that Paul is a man that does not have his mind set on earthly things. He is focused on Jesus. He is focused on the life to come. And he says, I want you to live according to the pattern that you see in us, because I'm telling you with tears that there are some who are enemies of the cross of Christ. A lot of people like to point out enemies of the cross of Christ, but where are the tears? Where is the feeling of sympathy and sadness because someone would turn against Christ. He did not enjoy exposing those who were enemies of the cross. It was something that tore him up and he hated it. And he hated the thought of having to do that and the thought that Satan had called some to turn away from Jesus and to be his enemies. It broke his heart, but he says, we're not like that. We are spiritually minded people because verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait the savior the Lord Jesus Christ. So some people set their mind on earthly things. We don't. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is heaven. Where we belong is heaven. And that's where our hearts should be and our minds should be focused on Jesus. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19, that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and that's what we're focused on. And when Christ comes, he is going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. How wonderful a day that will be. No way to fully understand what that's gonna be like, but it's something that we look forward to and something that we believe by faith. Then in chapter four, he comes to some concluding exhortations because of what has been said in the first three chapters. Here is the way that you should respond to the things that have been said about the life lived for Jesus. First of all, you should rejoice in the Lord. Verse four of chapter four, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord. He's actually already said it one time in chapter three and verse one, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now he says it again in chapter four and verse four, rejoice in the Lord and I'll say it again, rejoice. 
what do we have to rejoice about? The fact that Christ lives within us, the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, the fact that we can forget all these earthly things and focus on the things that are eternal, the things of the spirit, the fact that Christ gave up all of these things for us that he talked about in chapter two in order to save us and calls us to a life of humility. There is so much to be thankful for. And like he says in chapter one, to live for Christ means that to die is gain. That is certainly something to rejoice about. In verse six, he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Make sure that you are taking your prayers, your wants, your petitions before God so that the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's a man in prison. Here's a man who's going through tremendous suffering. And he says, but the peace of God will guard the hearts and lives of those who pray and those who put Christ first and those who, instead of worrying, take it to God in faith. And then he says, one final exhortation, make sure that you keep your mind on the right things. Make sure that you're thinking correctly. Whatever things are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy, he says, these are the kind of things I want you to think about in verse eight. Focus on the positive. So Paul has some positive thinking insights to give us here. And that is where our minds are to be focused. Our citizenship is in heaven. Think about that. And when it comes to the things of the earth, only think about the things that are good and positive and the things that bring love and cause love to flow from your heart. Be a positive person, a positive Christian. He's already said, do all things without complaining and arguing. Now he says, meditate on these things that are positive and good. And then lastly, he thanks them for their gifts to his ministry. They have partnered with him in sharing the gospel. And he says, you are the only one at the time who was sharing with me in the matter of giving and receiving. It's interesting that he calls giving to his work a matter of giving and receiving. And he explains that in verse 17 when he says, not that I'm seeking the gift, but I'm seeking that which is going to be credited to your account. He's telling them they are laying up treasure in heaven, just like Jesus said to do. They're not laying up their treasures on earth. They're laying up treasures in heaven by contributing to the spread of the gospel. So they were giving and they were going to be receiving. And don't forget to notice verse 11, where Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am in therewith to be content. I am content no matter what my circumstances in life are. How can you be content no matter what your circumstances are? He says, I have learned this. I have trained myself to be content no matter the circumstances. Jesus is always with me. It's kind of like when he says rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't just say rejoice because you can't rejoice all the time if it's just a matter of rejoicing, but you can rejoice in the Lord all the time. So rejoice in the Lord always. And that's the same as learning to be content no matter what the circumstances are. And no matter what happens, remember this point in verse 19, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't think that God does not notice what you're giving, the sacrifices that you're making, and he is going to take care of your needs and meet your needs. Uh, according to what he has, which is total riches through Christ Jesus. Paul then gives his final greetings and closes out the letter. It is a powerful, positive, profitable book that we should read and reread. It doesn't take long. There's only four chapters, but it is so powerful. And it will give you a positive attitude as far as Christ and the things that you're going through if you will meditate on it and make this 
message of the book of Philippians a part of your thinking. So read Philippians, read it carefully and meditate upon it. Meditate on these things to use Paul's expression there in Philippians chapter four. We thank you for joining us on the podcast and we hope to see you again next time when we'll be looking at another one of the books of the Bible because we want to learn about Jesus.